0: Welcome to the show, everyone. Great to be with you today. Paul George, Deacon Adam Conk to my left, producer Chad in the studio. Thanks for listening in today on the podcast, or on the radio. Great, great show today. Actually, we we're having a debate right before we press the record button. Butting? Butting? You ever? You know, <laughs> button? The record button? Here's the debate Adam said he's been reading because he Adam moved and he's got a longer commute to the studio. Mhm. And he said he's been reading audiobooks. And I'm like, you're not reading the audiobook, you're actually listening to the book. That's the
1: debate. Mm. Do you call it well, reading? I don't disagree with you, but I do think that I am catching up on my reading, meaning I've been meaning to read that book, like actually reading it, but I haven't had the time. So now I have time.
0: But you can't say I'm catching up reading the book. You can say I'm catching up on the book. But what you does it mean to really?
1: What does it really mean to read?
0: Really,
2: listen with your mind's eye. I, I don't mean? know,
0: but look, I appreciate audiobooks. I'm more of a visual learner. You mm-hmm. know, I learned that in school through failure, which is why you're on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, I actually ha- like. I feel like my eyes have to see words for me to absorb it. Other people are audible learners or whatever, and. You know, I get really distracted on audiobooks, but I appreciate those. And you can really kind of catch up and go through them a lot. So are you a reader
1: or a listener of books? Well, let me ask you this. If I wrote a book and then read it to you, are you not reading my book? Right,
0: but I wouldn't listen. <laughs> I just personally wouldn't listen. Okay. But no, you got a good point. You got a good point.
2: The only thing I don't like and about A lot it. of
1: people like to audiobooks, but...
2: Yeah, is you can't really like highlight or... You know, mark places that were impactful.
1: Okay, so on that, like I'm reading a book right now that I want to go back and actually read again, like, you know, with my eyes for that reason, to highlight, to whatever. But I'm listening through it to see which sections are worth going. I don't have to read mm. the whole thing like that. You see what I'm saying? Like, oh, I'll go to that section where something really important was said and read it closer and highlight.
2: Yeah, also like when I listen to podcasts, I'll have like a, it'll spark a thought, like their discussion or or audiobook, it'll spark a thought and then my mind goes down this train it just drifts and then and then before i know it you know i've missed the whole chapter
0: yeah mm-hmm. you know what i mean yeah so i would probably have to listen to an audiobook maybe 3 or 4 times before i would get remember the content that i would
1: be, remember if i read it well and to encourage our to encourage our spiritually minded listeners sometimes listening through something let's say um a, a writing of a saint in particular, you have to read that thing like 12 times before you really get what they're saying. Mm-hmm. And like, you're going to understand it the first time you read it on a certain level, but there's so much depth to saintly wisdom. That like you really need to reread, reread, reread. And maybe a good introduction, if there's a lot of saints you've been meaning to read, is to read the audiobook or <laughs> listen to the audio book as you. you're driving. You're listening. To kind of just wet you know, grease the tracks, so to speak, yeah. or, mm-hmm. and then you go back and you read the actual book that's a good because idea. you're now motivated. You're like, wow, that was really good. It helps motivate you to actually sit down and read it. Mm, that's good. Yeah.
0: I was just on, on a trip to Dallas, six hour drive, you know, on the six hour drive, I want to pray and, you know, get some quiet time or listen to podcasts, you know, whatever, because I got a lot of time. Um, and so, you know, I was listening to the Rosary and praying the rosary along with the audio, mm-hmm,
2: okay, mm-hmm.
0: and some meditations, St. Teresa in between each, you know, That's cool, and it's cool, because, you know, you hear her words, and you're praying the rosary, but I found myself by, like, the third decade, like, totally not paying attention, <laughs> you know, I was, like, thinking about something else, my my mind began to wander, but it, it definitely kind of gets you into it, and it's a different way to meditate, so, yeah. you know, there's pros and cons. To well, that not
1: that to be but. all Catholic nerd about this, too, but... One of the things we kind of forgot about that was given to the church was this encyclical on faith right at the beginning of Pope Francis's pontificate. We forgot about it because it was really like, it was Pope Benedict's encyclical that Pope Francis finished. Hmm. So Pope Benedict wrote like all of it, basically, and then Pope Francis, he just didn't have time to publish it. Then Pope Francis comes in and ties the bow on it and adds his own little thing here and there and then publishes it, right? Right. This happened with uh, John Paul II to Benedict as well. But anyway, the point is, there's this awesome reflection on faith coming from hearing. Hearing the word and like how unique hearing is. Hearing the proclamation of the gospel. So faith as a light is addressed, but also faith as a response to what we hear is fascinating. So Mm -hmm. read that little encyclical. It's not long. Well, just like the gospels on
0: Sundays when they proclaim the gospel. You're not reading the gospel you're listening exactly like, to the gospel but, but,
1: yeah but the actual
2: proclamation of the kingdom like the mystery of the rosary or whatever um yeah they all heard it it's not like they could read jesus right. words as he said them yeah most maybe people, that's what the radio is is like when jesus went out on the sea so you guess so everybody could hear him better he could reach more people you know what yeah I mean? most people couldn't
0: even read back then even if yeah. they had text right mm-hmm. they couldn't read so to proclaim the word and uh you know like that's how people learn right is from hearing and I think you bring up a good point. It's something that I'm challenged in just in my daily life, right? Just every day, whether it be my, with my wife or my kids and all the moving pieces or work or whatever is actually paying attention to what a person is saying to me. And one of my weaknesses, I think oftentimes is someone could be talking to me and it and like, I just forget about what they're saying. Like I get a little distracted or it, you know, they say something and I start thinking about something else trying to work on paying attention to the words that someone's saying to me and absorbing those words. Right. And I think we can, we need to do that with, with the gospel, with, mm-hmm. you know, with reading text or listening because that is a, a phenomenal way to absorb the truth of God. Word
2: up. Mm, there's some, uh, coming from a person who studied communication, there's some like uh physiological things you can do to really help with that. And I'm sure you know, I mean, it's the reason we, we stand when we listen to the gospel, right? Or we, we, we kneel when we pray at certain times, but, um, people, people who listen well have a certain posture about them. They open themselves up. They lean in to listen, you know? And when we like, one of the things I used to help me, when I'm like listening to my wife, men, men struggle with that often, right? They make jokes about it all the time on right. sitcoms, but one of the things I'll do and I'm like, Oh man, I'm not listening right now. Let me get into a position where I can listen and make sure she knows that she can see me listening to her feels loved that way or feels, you know, not that I'm, perfect at it at all, but I have to like remind myself to get into that posture. Well and the it's topic
0: the topic matters. You it know, does. if it's something oh, that you're sure. interested in, you're gonna <laughs> listen a little bit more, right? But sometimes yeah. listening is just it's it's honoring the person. Yeah. Even if you're not interested in the topic, right? Well the um, thing
1: is when when we grow in holiness and true charity, charity is a friendship where I love you for you out mm-hmm. of love for God. And so what's gonna interest me is I realize what you're saying is interesting to you. Mm. Mm. When I realize that what you're saying is interesting to you, then I'm interested. That's out of friendship. That's out of love. That's really what every one of us should strive for with every single person because we love God. You know, because I love God, I want to love you well. And so when I realize something is interesting to you, I want to listen and understand what you're saying. Not because it's interesting to me, but because it's interesting to you. That's beautiful.
0: Yeah, I mean, you think about... You know, the, the Sundays that I read the Gospels before I go to Mass, I'm much more engaged, mm-hmm. I honestly, and when I don't, it's like by the time the Gospel is over, I'm like, okay, what did they just say? And I think that's what's important about having those missiles, you know, mm-hmm. with having the text in front of you. So as the deacon or the priest is reading the Gospel, you're kind of, you're following along. There's something about hearing and, and seeing at the same time, like the importance of that. But you're also needing to process, and this is why, like, you know, Jesus would proclaim the word or share a story or a parable, and then they would go off, and then the disciples would be like, okay, explain that. You know, mm-hmm. there needed to be a breakdown of what they heard, you know. So we're not always just made to hear something and be able to translate it ourselves or, you know, this is what we call catechesis, you know, I don't echo down, but to teach what was being said and explained, right?
1: Yeah, and I mean, the in the Mass there's a reason for the homily that is very sacred and it makes sense because what so when Jesus said anything he knew every person who would ever hear what he's saying. So when he said uh to the blind man, what do you want me to do for you? He knew every person to the end of time who would be reading or hearing that gospel proclamation and hear him say, "What do you want me to do for you?" and he has grace in mind for all of those people to bless them every time they encounter that gospel, right? But every person is different and unique, and the graces he has for them is unique. And so the homily is supposed to take that idea and now become a a crack in the dam, if you will, of grace to let through the grace that Christ intends for that moment, for those people, for that encounter. So you have this, the richness of the gospel is like this ocean of grace, And then this little vehicle of the homilist lets that ocean come into this congregation, these groups of people, and apply the graces Christ means to apply to these people when the gospel is read.
0: This is why I love homilies that actually talk about exactly what Jesus said and meant. Yes. You know, it's like... It's important. You know, like, there's the gospel. The gospel is from the gospel, you know, about (laughs) Jesus, and you know, to talk about what Jesus said and meant. And I mean, I think in our culture today, I've kind of been going back in my own life right now to just going back to reading the gospels. Mm. Because I find that like I'm being constantly bombarded with so much stuff out there, right? So much garbage and, you know, division and what's right, what's wrong. And I'm like, you know what, I'm going to go back to just the truth of the truth. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to read the words of Jesus. I'm going back to read the Gospels. Like, what did he say? What did Jesus say about this? And I just want to go back and just be absorbed into that, you know, right now, because, you know, it's crazy. So I'm, 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 I'm reading texts that I've read 20, 30 years ago, mm-hmm. and it's hidden me like, it's never
1: hit me before, right? It's like, oh, I know I've read that before, but I'm, you know, wow. Yeah, because the Word of God is living and effective. And and when we read, Jesus, when he said that, knew Paul at 20 years old, Paul at 25 years old, Paul at 30 years old. And with when he said it, he intended certain grace for you at 20, 25, 30, 40, 45. And on your journey, he knows your whole journey, right? So that word of God becomes a vehicle of the grace God wants to explode in your life at this exact moment for this exact purpose. Even though it's the same words you've heard or read a thousand times, God gives us himself through the word. And look, as a deacon, I can tell you there's a profound connection in my ordination and the graces of that to the gospel specifically. It's the one thing that the deacon is supposed to do at the mass. Now, there are a lot of things I can do, You know, but like a priest can can say, I'll do that, right? Like purifying the vessels. I can do that, but the priest can say, I'd like to do that. And we say, sure. But if he ever (laughs) says, you know what? I want to proclaim the gospel. He's now going against the mind of the church. Because when a deacon is present, he should be proclaiming the gospel, right? So there's this strange, beautiful connection that God has given me to the gospels just by ordination. That is palpable, man. Like I can, when I pray with it, when I proclaim it, and uh, it's a beautiful thing. You know yeah i think you
0: know one of the things about the mass is that jesus is uniquely present in the priest uniquely present in the community right god's present in the community god's present in the word mm. like uniquely present in the word and there's something very powerful we don't think about oh they're just reading the text of scripture no like god's uniquely powerfully present in the proclamation of the word and as a good question i wanted to ask you that question because you know, it's just been in the last few months. Your ordination has there been a a, a difference in being able to proclaim the gospel at mass? Like, have you felt like this oh, yeah. this like presence with God in proclaiming it at mass? Because for us in the community, as the people, we should, in a sense, feel the power of the gospel being proclaimed as well. But we're
1: not we're not reading the text. One thousand percent. I mean, first of all. Every time I read the gospel and I say the name of Jesus. Like I've been a lector before at Mass, right? And you know, sometimes if it's from the New Testament, like St. Paul, you'll have the name of Jesus and everything, but you're not saying what Jesus said. Right. Like St. Paul was talking about what Jesus said, but I'm saying what St. Paul said if I'm a lector, right? To actually say the words of Jesus out loud to the community, like speaking for Jesus, is crazy. Like it's it's profound, it's beautiful humbling um yeah and other than holding up the chalice at the elevation in the mass like that is the most sacred moment for me is saying what jesus said to the congregation well, i'm handing on the words of jesus christ to the people
0: there's power in the name of jesus yeah. you know and yeah. if you proclaim the name of jesus you know the scripture says you you'll be saved mm-hmm. you know like we we've kind of gotten away from like okay this jesus is god and his words are powerful and and they offer us life they offer us meaning they offer us purpose mercy forgive it, you name it like and you know to sit in mass and whatever you're thinking is like well our mass is sort of boring or i don't really like when when the readings are being read like that's the power of god speaking you know to us through through his word the divine scripture sacred scripture right there so
1: yeah and i mean the, the authority with which he taught is still around you know it's still him he still teaches with that same authority even when it's through broken vessels like uh, the deacon or the priest or whoever like christ who spoke with such authority that people were in awe and amazement at him still speaks to his church with that same authority and we all know it in the depths of our hearts when we hear truth, when we hear Jesus speaking, even if the trappings are are broken, like, you know, it's, we find it boring or whatever. Like, Jesus is speaking, and he continues to speak in his church with that authority until he comes back again. And it's a beautiful thing. Um, and one of the reasons we can have a confidence that the church is going to be around to the end of the world is because can you imagine a world where Jesus is no longer speaking? a world void of God speaking with that authority of Jesus Christ. I can't imagine. That it. sounds terrible. It, yeah. would, it would be easier to exist without the sun than to exist without the authority of Jesus. Well,
0: It feels like we're in a time and a season where the voice of God isn't being heard because there's so much noise out there. And that's why I was saying, I'm, I'm, I'm just getting back to the gospels. You know, I want to hear the voice of God. I want to hear the words of Jesus because that's the thing that's gonna bring me back to focus, right? It's gonna get me out of all the all the stuff that's just flying around. You know, it's 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 like a landmine out there, you know. And I want to just challenge people, challenge folks to get back to reading the Gospels, the Word of Jesus. It'll bring you back into clear focus about the meaning of your life, your purpose, your direction, everything. All right, we're gonna take a break. When we come back, we're gonna get to have you seen. The Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity HealthShare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the health care problem. Are you paying too much for your health care cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a health care sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund health care costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Welcome back to the show. Good to be with you today. Thanks for listening in on the podcast or on radio, KLFT Radio, Catholic Radio for and i got Deacon Adam, producer Chad in the studio. Man, we went from audiobooks to the gospel, and we had it all planned out. Yeah. Pretty amazing. Like every seconds. show. Every show is <laughs> very well planned to the minute. All right. Speaking of plan, we do have a
2: have you seen.
1: What did you say? That is so interesting.
2: All oh, for real though. Alright, guys. So have you seen the movie Up? Which is not that's not the have you seen, but Yeah. Oh you've yeah. heard of it, right? Yeah, you watched yeah, it with your kids. Yeah, my kids love it. Wonderful. That. Beautiful movie. Wonderful movie. Yeah. Heart wrenching. Very movie. cute. Yeah. Anyway. So there's this guy out there. He's like the real life up. Like the real life the real life dad, grandfather, what would you call him? I don't know. Yeah. The old
1: man, the main character from yeah. up.
2: Yeah, yeah. Real life. He he like inflated a bunch of helium balloons. Huge. Lifted a house off the ground. For he really real, did it? For real did it. Yeah, the house is kind of small.
0: It's a tiny be house, but it's still a house. house. But it's
2: a house. I don't know. I mean, you know, it was a movie. We, know, we don't know how big the house actually was, right? I mean, it seemed pretty big, but this guy really took the house off the ground. But he's been doing this for a while. He's Like before the movie? He did it, he did it before the movie. Whoa. The movie inspired him to, do, to lift the house off the ground. Wow. <laughs> so he was inspired by the movie, but maybe the movie was inspired by him a little bit too, you know? He flew these balloons over the English Channel. You've got to be kidding. Over the Alps. He's flown them several hundred miles. You've got to
1: be kidding That's No, for real. And these are just normal helium balloons or like special? I mean, some of them are
2: pretty big, like huge, but there's no like, he said one of the things that I thought was super interesting is, you know, if you get in a hot air balloon, I've never been in one, but apparently it's really loud with the flames on and off and whatever. Mm -hmm. If you're flying in a plane, it's really loud for the most part, but it's completely silent for him. Oh my goodness. Like when he wants to go down, he just pops a balloon. Are you serious? It <laughs> cuts a couple off. He's got like nice. a BB
1: gun and he just starts shooting balloons? Oh,
2: uh, no. No, I don't think. I, I mean, he, it looks like he just cuts them off. Like, takes some scissors and lets It's one thing lets that it I, go. I just
0: wouldn't do. I'm not into the helium balloon thing or attaching a house to it. I,
1: I mean, what if you're over the Alps it, and birds hit your balloons? You're going down in the mountains. I know. Well, Here, Here's my thought. You would have to hit
2: all the balloons. There's a lot of balloons. Okay. Do you
1: imagine the uh,
0: liability insurance cost <laughs> on his house? <laughs> Yeah. I mean, what company is going to insure? (laughs) I know you're not in a flood zone anymore. House. I mean, sure, buddy. What are you going to do? Yes, we'll insure it. I mean, it's just not that. I mean, maybe
2: he'd have had to build it himself for sure.
0: Yeah. So if you could invent anything that, and you thought it was impossible, because I would think that was impossible, but it's not. Now it's possible because the guy did it. You know, what would you invent?
2: I don't know. That was pretty neat. Mm Because I have
0: a have you seen that's extremely cool. (laughs) Like, it's like something I'm actually like, I actually want this. I don't want to attach my house to balloons, but I want to do this. So, a Japanese company um, has invented masks, okay, um, that amplify voices and translate dictation. And they translate, it translates speech into eight different languages they're going to be available in public starting in September at the cost of only like 40 or 50. dollars. So imagine what? yeah, imagine your your covid mask right now and it's and it's plastic and it fits over and it's got a, like a speaker microphone on it.
1: Oh my
2: goodness. Does it do like google translate cuz that's a little off sometimes, you know what I mean? Probably. Or like you know those Japanese or there's Asian tattoos people get on their arms that they think says something cool like warrior but it says like Duck? <laughs> is it like that?
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, you gotta be careful with it. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Like for example, if I saw someone who spoke in another language, I want to tell them, "Your hair is pretty. It looks like the sun." But then actually comes out, "I want to light your hair on fire." <laughs> that could be a problem. It would be a problem.
0: So, so you it's, it's a mask. Duel. It's a it's a robotics company that invented a mask, and that's yeah, pretty it, neat. I mean, they have a translate on your phone. Like you speak into it, and it'll give you like the Spanish translation. You know. And so we had a friend who doesn't speak English, and, you know, we're trying to use it. And it, it kind of gets you by. But, I mean, imagine this. I mean, this is like, this is like a dream come true if you're, like, going to – say you're going to Italy, and you just, yep. you know, you're
2: – You got to use the bathroom, and then you'll know. El baño. How you right. Saturday? Well, the it's smart you... way
1: would be just to say, like, one-word stuff. Right. You know, like bathroom. And then they know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Right. Food. You know, stuff like that. That could totally work. That'd be great. It's awesome. So Noodles, I, please. This is like
0: <laughs> an invention I would actually want. And look, I wonder, like, honestly, and I don't want to go, you know, geek squad on you, Adam, because you usually go geek squad on me. <laughs> is this, I would love this mask to do translation of the biblical text in a sense of what's the Greek word for this?
1: Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: What's the Latin root for this? What's the Arabic root for this word? That to me, like I would I would go crazy in like in like preparing like talks and stuff. Like that to me is the one of the things that I get geeked out about.
2: Mm. Oh yeah. Too bad you can't like slap it on a Hebrew Bible and it would just talk at you. I don't
0: know. Like I you
2: could do that with your phone.
0: I think they're onto something. Mm. Like think mm-hmm. about this.
1: Oh yeah. Um I like it. I if I go to Europe, I'll get one of these things. Oh, for sure.
0: Yeah. I mean, they're only forty or fifty dollars. I mean, you think about the fact and that it protects it you from Corona. Yeah,
1: kind
2: uh, here, of. Here's what's kind of cool about right.
0: it, And sort of this weird human human element, is that uh, it kind of just like just make it. There's no barrier between you and the person who speaks another language. Like if you've ever gone to another country and you don't speak their language, they don't speak yours. You just kind of stare at each other, <laughs> <laughs> and and smile. It's kind of frustrating. You know, and we were talking about words earlier, and like listening and hearing, but when you don't understand what's being said, like you know, a lot, a lot of bad things can happen. You know, <laughs> you, you can get lost, you, you can't find your way. Like there is something like really important about understanding the language. You mm-hmm. know, this mass is kind of, you know, it's interesting. It kind of starts to like build a little bit of unity in the language barrier because. You know, oftentimes you even hear in the church, it's like, well, there's a language barrier, you know, that, you know, these folks who speak this language want the liturgy in this language and this, like, if you ever go into communities where there's like various languages happening in the community, the one barrier that they feel is the language barrier,
1: Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm.
0: and with that, it's like this cultural barrier that they feel because they speak different languages and they have different cultures and like traditions, you know. But the one thing that brings us all together is the liturgy. It's God. It's faith, you know? So
2: mm. Maybe it's reversing the Tower of Babel.
1: Well, I want to reference the audiobook I'm reading. Okay. Because on this topic, Cardinal Sarah, I mean, he just, just hits home. Is it Sarah or is it
2: Sarah? Well, people say both.
1: Sarah when they want to feel fancy, but that's it's so, just Sarah. See, Sometimes I want to feel fancy. Yeah, then when you feel like being fancy, <laughs> say Sarah. <laughs> um, but no, he, he says that referencing this exact idea that there's a language barrier between human beings, the, the phenomenon of Babel, right? Like the division of us through language. Hmm. It's a book on silence. He says the native language of God is silence. And because we are made for, for that homeland, our native language is silence. And he says how beautiful it is to go to monasteries in Europe or places where people from different countries that speak different languages are all able to speak the language of silence together in the liturgy, in the Mass, because in its heart, silence is a turning towards God and letting Him communicating communicate to us in His native language, which is grace, and grace is silent, right? Like when God pours His grace into our heart, into our soul, hmm. it's a silent language. He speaks His words silently to us, and even when the church speaks audibly, under it is the silence of grace. Like when we proclaim the gospel at mass, we're talking about that. Like that's an audible reality. Underneath it is an inaudible communication from God straight to our hearts in silence. And so the more we cultivate silence in the church, the more the, the, um, the phenomenon of Babylon is undone in us, right? And mm. you can see this beautifully in communities that live together from different parts of the world, that don't really speak each other's languages, but begin to pray together. Um, it's a beautiful thing.
0: I mean, one of you know, not one. The most powerful moments I've had in my life have been in silence. The most powerful retreats I've been on have been silent retreats. You know, no one's like creatively doing a skit or breaking open the word or whatever. It's 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 like you and God. You know, and that is that is very true. And we live in a world that's so loud talking about that earlier, like just getting back to like what it's all about with the words of Jesus and the gospel is that that leads you into contemplative prayer, into Mm. reflecting on the words of Jesus and how, how it affects your life and, and, and your reality. That's what we're missing a lot in this world. You know, it's just a lot of noise, a lot of people talking, you know, and it's like the voice of God, you can, you can drown out the voice of God by, being sinful by being loud by ignoring the voice of God it doesn't mean the voice of God isn't there it is there but you can drown it out just like you can drown out you know your kids' voices uh, your spouse's voices you know you can you can drown it out It doesn't mean the voices still aren't
1: there right yeah mm. well and Cardinal Sarah used this beautiful image of like silence being a, a discipline in us mm-hmm. where we turn towards God and turn our back to the world when we're silent. That's exactly So in other words, like all the noise and the deluge of, like he describes as water, there's just like a flood of stuff all the time. When we turn toward it in our heart, we're turning towards that, the noise, the nonsense, the whatever, and our back is towards God, and we can't hear Him, we can't understand Him, we can't see Him. And he's saying the, the Christian discipline of silence is that In more and more of our lives, we have this art of turning away from the noise, away from the deluge, toward God and our back to the noise. And this can happen in any setting. And this is the point he makes. It's not just for monks and nuns, although they are icons of this because they've turned their whole life away from the world and towards God. They've designed their life that way. They're the icons of silence, married people, business people. Like, we can all learn this skill, this discipline of turning towards God throughout our day and our back to the to the noise of the world. Mm. Isn't that something?
2: Yeah, because <laughs> we keep facing the world. The, we allow the world to make our decisions, uh, the world to influence our thought and our perspective and uh, our orientation, yeah, like mm-hmm. wh- where we're trying to go. Yeah, the church, the, the ancient church, even some now would face the east, right? And that was sort of the same idea it's like you're turning to face towards god and away from the war the the attack the the enemy that was in the west or from i i think i'm right about that
0: and that's the image yeah. you know and and that's the call to prayer mm-hmm. for all of us you know the call to prayer is to turn your back on the voices of the world and your face to face with god in prayer and silence you know and in reading the word i mean and when we have that discipline daily in our life like that's when we begin to to find peace, even in the midst of all the chaos in the world, you know? And I know for married folks out there and people with kids, it's like, man, my, my world is loud, you know? My world's loud at work and then, you know, the internet and I get home and it's loud. I think it's even more important mm-hmm. for us folks like that to find that silence during our day, that that time where we can just be you know, turn our backs and be in the voice
1: of God, right? It takes greater discipline to be a Christian who's married than a Christian in the monastery in a certain way, in this, in this respect. In, in that respect, yeah. Because the life of the monastery is designed to go with the flow of silence, to go with the flow of prayer. Like when you're a brother or a sister, you follow your schedule, and your schedule leads you to that prayer, leads you to that silence. It's, it's in your life. But when you're a married person or living in the world, or even a priest, um, you have to be much more self-disciplined to lead yourself to that prayer. No one's going to lead you there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, you're not going against the flow when you just live in the world, because you're in the world. But in the monastery, you'd be going against the flow if you're like, you know what, I'm going to watch some, some Oprah instead <laughs> of going to prayer. People would be like, well, well, no. Like, you can't do that. Right. <laughs> but if you, you could do that at your house... Yeah. Right? Like you can totally Oh absolutely get immersed. You can. So it takes it takes a really strong discipline, even stronger than in the monastery. But look, the fruit of that is beautiful.
2: I yeah. think it yeah, I think that's why it's so good to go visit a monastery and do a silent retreat there. Is like you really get a grasp for the, the value of the silence mm-hmm. and how good it is for your heart and for your mind and for your soul and then also like how they orient themselves towards silence. Like how they continue to choose it. Like this is this is how they choose it. They, they have these set routines and these disciplines and and this is how they help their mind get to silence you know I think it's really it can be really influential in your own home in your own life anyway yeah,
0: yeah. it's harder today you know because of the mm-hmm. technology and the internet you know it's like in TV it, it, it's hard to get away you have to ve- be very intentional about getting away and turning things off you know which is so cool we're talking about this because this goes into a saint whose feast day we celebrate this Sunday on August 9th, St. Therese Benedicta of the Cross, who left her life of noise to enter the, the monastery, the Carmelite Monastery. So uh, formerly known as the world-famous Edith Stein.
1: Mm. She's right, one yeah. of the most fascinating people of the 20th century. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. You know, it's that normal story where, like, you're born Jewish, then you become an atheist, and you become a renowned philosopher and academic then you stumble upon christianity and you decide to become a nun all those things are true by the way <laughs> and then and, normal. then and then you're normal killed story. then you're killed in a concentration camp like it's that normal life story that we <laughs> <we're all laughs> yeah very <laughs> familiar with she was jewish i we'll have a cousin who like, did that
0: wealthy prominent jewish family she earned a, a doctorate degree in philosophy in 1916 and she was a teacher uh, until nineteen twenty two she was so inspired by the life of saint therese um, right yeah saint Teresa of Avila mm-hmm. she was so inspired by avila 's life that she read about it it was instrumental in her conversion
1: yeah, she had some Catholic friends she was visiting um and she was a reader, she was an academic she sees the the autobiography of saint Teresa of Avila on the shelf in the way of perfection a little St. Teresa of Avila Library, we should all have in our in our house for just this reason, because here's this non-Christian who became a atheist, like she, a professed atheist, and a really intellectual one, one that knew mm-hmm. all the arguments, you see what I'm saying? Picks up the witness of St. Teresa one afternoon, and then that was it. Yeah, I mean, think about this. Well,
0: She's extremely wealthy, <laughs> prominent, a philosopher, doctorate, uh, degree, I mean, just at the apex of what, you know, people would want to accomplish in the world, and... And and particularly that time as a woman, being so educated and thought after, um, and then you know she converts to Catholicism, and then not only just converts to Catholicism, she enters into the monastery, you know, super converts, so, like like ultra converts.
2: <laughs> that, that happens sometimes, right? Yeah, I have a friend who did that real life. I had a friend. I have a friend who did that. Nice. Not a, I wouldn't say a professed intellectual atheist, but uh, converted. And then, you know, a year later, joined a religious order.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then great. there's uh, Mother Miriam. Um, she was a Jewish person, became Christian, then became Catholic, and now she started her own religious order. So sometimes that happens, you know? <laughs> incredible. Yeah, yeah and Just Adam, feel so, feel you so were convicted. saying this.
0: It says, after living for four years in the Cologne-Carmel, uh, monastery Sister Therese Benedicta moved to the Carmelite monastery in Echt, Netherlands, in 1938. The Nazis occupied that country in 1948. 1940, in retaliation for being denounced by the Dutch bishops, the Nazis arrested all Dutch Jews who became Christians. Think about that. Therese Benedicta and her s- sister Rosa, also a Catholic, died in a gas chamber in Auschwitz on August 9, 1942. Think about that murdered mm. for a Christian belief that is 1942 you guys that was like only like 70 80 years ago
2: 80, yeah yeah you, well. you know like well
0: that's it's not that long ago at all you know uh John Paul Pope John Paul II beatified uh Saint Teresa Benedicta of the cross in 1987 and canonized her August 12th years later 12 years later this is her feast day coming up uh, which is a powerful story I love hearing stories of this goes back to what you were saying Adam about Cardinal Sarah of people who have turned their back on the world the voice of the world so they can hear the voice of God and listen mm-hmm. you know now she went to the ultimate extreme of like the monastery I mean think about the the quiet and the being in the presence of God it's hard for for us lay folks and us Mary folks to you know do that but I I do want to challenge myself to create a sense of monastery in my life, some monastery times, some monastery moments, some monastery retreats, the ability to, to, to listen and be silent and hear the voice of Jesus. So that, that's the
1: thing that drives my life, right? Yeah. Well, I think St. Teresa Benedict is a great example of the risk of silence. Because mm. there's a great risk in turning towards God. It really is you can be destroyed by the world because if you have the clarity that comes from God is everything, God or nothing, that nothing satisfies except God. When you get that clarity and you turn your back definitively on the world, the world might kill you. And so there's a risk in this. There's a risk in following the Lord. There's a risk in turning toward him and rejecting the world. And sometimes we're not going to feel that risk. Like when she was in the Carmel, I'm sure there was a many blessed days of just peace and, and mm-hmm. you know, like everything we love about Jesus was just flooding her heart, right? But in these moments, it was those moments of clarity, those days in Carmel, that when she was arrested, when she was led to the gas chamber, she was strengthening her sister Rosa through the whole process. She wasn't afraid. She wasn't, you know what I'm saying? Like she had the clarity that brought her to the gas chamber. And so, for you and I, I think a lot of us are so wusses because we we're we're afraid of silence. For that reason, we know it's risky.
0: Here's what's risky. I'm, I and I've, you know, thought this and I've heard people say this too, is I'm afraid of what God might call me to. Mm-hmm. I'm afraid of what He might tell me, so I just don't, I don't listen, I don't ask, right? Sort of like your friend who had a major conversion and then just all of a sudden just, you know, joined a religious order, you know. It's like you hear stories of like, what happens? You know, you get to the point where you, you're like, you're in desperation. You're like, okay, I'm going to ask God, you know, but you have to get over that fear of what God might say, you know? And the reality is that God would never ask you or call you to something that wasn't a desire on your heart that he put there that wouldn't match up, you know, directly, you know, it's like when, when you met your wife, your spouse, it's, and, and you start, it's like, oh, like. We go good together. You know, we're mm. meant together. You know, God's will for your life will match the desire that he's placed on your heart. Now, you may not be in touch with that desire. It may bring some tension, you know. It, it may bring a lot of, like, you know, mm. getting rid of other things. But, it, like, when you get to the root of the desire, it's like, oh, this makes so much sense. It, it matches.
1: And as true as that promise is, it is also equally true that the world will never— touch the desires of your heart Mm. will never satisfy it Mm. will never give you what you hope it promises because it can't deliver on its promise
2: dude how many people are out there just listening and consumed with the thoughts of the world that god right now is trying to call to do these great things like saint Teresa benedict of the cross like just probably the last person somebody would think would become a catholic carmelite None, like in her life. And God, like by the authentic witness of St. Teresa of Avila, just like pulled her out of that, out of the world. You I, know what I mean that's a great
1: point. I mean, think about how her friends that introduced Jesus to her aren't canonized saints. Mm-hmm. And so like each time we reproduce Christianity by evangelizing someone, we're about to unleash on the world future saints far holier than us. You know what I'm saying? Like each time Mm. we give our little effort, God can do much more in their life than He's done. You know, like we let Him do in our life. Like people are going to be a lot more generous than us. But if we can just get them started, right? And that's why I think it's important to have those books on the shelves for when your friends come over, or those little moments where God can get in through that little crack. Those people can become those the heroic saints that lead much more people than we will.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Mm. All right, we're going to take a break. We'll be right back. It's Paul George.
1: The Paul George show is made possible in
0: part by our partners at Solidarity Healthshare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the healthcare problem. Are you paying too much for your healthcare cost? Solidarity Healthshare is a healthcare sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund healthcare costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity Healthshare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit solidarityhealthshare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Welcome back to the show. Great to be with you. Thanks for listening in. The podcast, the radio, good to be with uh, Deacon Adam to the left, producer Chad Bayro on the right. For those of you guys who aren't from Louisiana, Bayrow is
1: spelled just like that.
2: <laughs> not at all <laughs>
1: not at all it'd be fun to invite people who aren't from here to try to spell Beirut and see what they come up with yeah yeah.
2: I've, I've had my name mispronounced my entire life
1: what's
0: the one like the most common you know name that they go to when they read your last oh, it's name it's usually Berard. Berard.
2: yeah I don't really know I mean I get it because it kind of looks the same but it's not it's not spelled like that at
0: all no not at all not at all but
2: that's usually it a, a bar
1: yeah Bar- Barrad. Barradwood. Yeah.
0: So anyway, I was just in Dallas. Um, I haven't had a trip in a long time because the uh, I don't know if you guys have heard there's a coronavirus out mm-hmm. there. Um. So anyway, so I'm you know I decided to drive instead of fly. It was cheaper, but it's you know six hour drive. So, safer too. Uh, safer, yeah. And um, so I decide I'm gonna stop. You guys ever been to Bucky's? Oh yeah, you know, the big awesome, the you know, truck stop and. You know, ah,
2: makes your heart happy. Yeah,
0: it does make your heart happy. So I stop Bucky's in Texas, we get gas, maybe like a little snack, and then I'll have like another hour, hour and a half drive. So perfect. I go in there, and I'm not joking, you guys. If I didn't catch coronavirus in that store, I will never catch it. <laughs> there were so many people in that place; you could not move. And this place is large. Yeah, it's huge, right? I mean, it's
1: packed.
0: I, I want to buy stock in bucky's
1: (laughs) good luck yeah good luck with that
0: but you can't leave bucky's without a brisket sandwich and homemade chips Mm. sorry
2: i always get the the bucky's has the what do they call them something nuggets and it's like little uh it's not nugget it's not actual chicken nuggets but it's (laughs) like little like popcorn almost caramel corn yeah something like that i forget what they call it yeah anyway beaver nuggets
0: beaver nuggets it's all about they're the, the best it's all about the branding at Bucky's, so they've
1: done a good job. Gosh!
0: But you know, if you dropped your whole family there, you stop, got gas, right? Adam, you're on mm-hmm. a trip. Everybody gets out of the van. You're you're That's in that store for stop. 30 minutes, and you're you're coming out there, you know, spending 50 bucks at least, plus gas. So, mm-hmm. you know, you just dropped so a hundred. Avoid it. Yeah. No, it's an experience. It'd be it be like.
2: It is a fun experience. The bathrooms are the best. The best yeah. best place to stop to use the restroom. Well, <laughs>
0: There go. Speaking of that, let's, how about the pack of questions?
1: <laughs> question. Question number one. All right. So, Paul, we talked about a lot of things, um, but I have a question about prayer for you. Um, as you work with people who struggle with prayer, for some people, prayer is like it kind of comes natural because their personality, their temperament, whatever else. But for a lot of people, it's a really big struggle just to pray. And talk to Jesus. So, as you work with those kind of folks that really struggle with it, what advice do you find like helps people um, actually pray when they find it very difficult?
0: Well, I think, you know, if you don't really know how to pray, I think prayer is one of the things that comes most natural to us that we don't realize comes most natural to us, which is at the end of the day, it's just having an honest conversation with God, right? part of that conversation is talking part of it is listening you know so that's very natural to to who we are as humans but if you don't actually take the time to do that then you then you're not having the time to have you know communicate with god right um and to pray so i think in our world today the the biggest thing is is carving out the time and just allowing yourself to naturally have a conversation with god now there's definitely some great resources out there on prayer some books to read some things to kind of get you um journaling or talking you know and 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 comfortable familiar with how to pray you know and of course in the church we have so many devotionals and prayer books and um you know sacramentals and and you know novenas and to, to get us into prayer so a lot of times like i i might use something like the rosary to really get me into that time of reflection and meditation. You know, it's something very familiar and graceful. So, you know, I do that.
2: Awesome. Question number two, as a person that's going to be a parent soon enough, um, what does, so we talked a bit about the the house kind of being a monastery and, and, and being silence and, you know, whatever. Um, do you have a sort of, so i guess schedule for entertainment or like i don't know if you, that makes sense so like your phone netflix tv whatever do you have times in your home where it's not allowed or is it like dedicated to certain days or anything like that you know what i mean does that make sense like for all the family yeah um yeah or for me or do you have a suggestion like maybe i don't know not everybody does it perfect or, or thinks they're doing it perfect
0: and everybody's different every family you know i don't know if there's right or wrong like we try to take sundays off from screens you know i have older Mm -hmm. kids now and you know they obviously have a lot more freedom and and hopefully we've taught them probably i don't know super well the ability to have moderation and like deal with their you know their own ways of like you know putting their phone down but in our house, like we try to, you know, like Sundays is like, Hey, let's just put your everything away. Like, let's just have a day of rest and interaction, but definitely at night and at dinner time, and, you know, later, like we, we do try to do that for me personally. Um, yeah, like I, I think the older I get, the more I'm, I'm just wanting to like turn everything off, (laughs) you know, because I'm craving more and more, um, you know, Silence. You know, I, I want to be reading more. I want to be learning more. And in order to do that, like, you know, back in the day, like you didn't have a cell phone on your side that was going off all the time. Like you, there was a lot less distraction, you know, mm. and it, it just takes a lot more discipline today to put those distractions away so that you can have that time. I mean, it mm-hmm. just does. And then it takes a lot more discipline as a parent to try to teach your kids that because there's some things as a parent you just want to be like God, i just don't want to deal with that you know i, I got too much going on you know mm-hmm. pick my battles well the screen thing and, and
1: the technology thing is just a battle that you know you have to choose to fight question number three so we talked about the gospels and the importance of being familiar with the gospels um What do you suggest to someone who maybe is like completely unfamiliar with it? Like how do you go from zero to 60 in immersing yourself in the world of the gospels? How would you suggest that?
0: I think for me it was really transformative early on in my conversion is I just started reading the gospel of Matthew Um, as the first gospel, you know, it's a long gospel. So, you know, there's a lot of stories of Jesus you know, where Mark's gospel shorter, you know, it's, it's almost a little bit feels like more of a summary of a lot of, you know, I just felt like the the life of Jesus was expanded in the gospel of Matthew, you know, and it just taught me a lot about Jesus, the the person of Jesus, the savior, you know, and that's, I, I just want, I go back to that gospel a lot of times. Now I love all the gospels, but if someone's starting out, I'm like, just start reading the Gospel of Matthew. You know, it's it's like his life from the time he was born, his genealogy to, um, you know, all the parables and stories and the death, the resurrection. Like you get the whole kind of picture, you know. And it's not hard. You know, it's not like it's reading Latin. It's you know, it it's a great place to start. And what I encourage you to do in that is like read it and maybe just read like one passage and just sit with it in prayer. Like let that be sort of the backdrop to your prayer time is that gospel. So,
2: Question four. So we talked, we glossed over Teresa of Avila and mentioned it as sort of a part of St. Teresa Benedict of the Cross's conversion, but and what is the name of the book? Is it The Way of Perfection? Is it That's And one so, of them, yeah. and if that was indeed the book, I mean she talks about Um, you know, the mountain and whatever in becoming holy or or holy as God, Caesar, you know, whatever. Um, I have to imagine in the book, she talked about, she talked about her vanity and her own struggle with sin. And so it's sort of this uh, witness to St. Teresa Benedicta of like this real person who really struggled with sin, but also like longed for God and desired God and found a way, you know, and, and allowed God to lead her to himself. Um, and how can we be a witness like that to other people? Like, how do we start to even witness like Teresa of Avila would have witnessed to, you know, a lot of people? Really, does that make does that question make sense? Yeah,
0: I don't know. I mean, you know, I was I've been thinking. I don't know if it was last week's show or the week before. Saint Ignatius, mm. uh, whose conversion was through reading the lives of the saints. Mm. And I've just been intrigued in that. Like I'm not super good at translating the lives of the saints to other folks because, you know, but I wonder if I should be better about giving them books. Like re- <laughs> read, read about this person or listen to, because the, the, here's something about the witness of their life. It's very transformational in the culture and into our life. And and then you start thinking, is you know, a lot of times, and, and I can't speak for St. Ignatius is, you know, a lot of times when you're reading about Jesus, I mean, it's, You think, oh, that's Jesus. Of course, Jesus would have done that. When you read about a saint who is human, you're like, whoa, they actually did that? They actually made that change? They actually, you know, and then it kind of becomes like real tangible, you know, for you. Because it's like, oh, if they can do that, then maybe I can do that. You know, so the lives of the saints are very powerful. And there's some mystics out there, some saints. You're just like, that is incredible. That is miraculous what happened, you know. St. Teresa of Avila is one of those. You know, you read about her life, you're just like, really? That is incredible. That is unbelievable. Um,
1: and I don't know, like, maybe you should just start dishing out some audiobooks, Adam. <laughs> <The> <laughs> That's saints. a good plan. Well, and to throw that in there, too, the, there are some really good movies made about saints these days, but most of them are foreign. So we have some good in English, like, for sure. There's a good on St. Saint, Ignatia Saint Loyola, for example, Nature's mm-hmm. Press put out. But uh, the reason why I like the foreign ones is they're very human. Like, one of my favorites is uh, about Padre Pio, made in Italy. But he's every bit of an Italian. Like, cranky, ornery, mm. blows up on people. <laughs> like, that's what, who Italian people are, right? right but, uh, like yeah. So, you think Padre Pio and you think, like, you know, this, I don't know. But it's very inspiring me for some reason to see the humanness of saints and their struggles, uh, but also their holiness.
2: Hmm. Yeah, well, it just makes it seem achievable, I guess. I don't know if achievable is the right word, but it seems like it's real. Tangible, You know, like like you can do it. Yeah, Mm -hmm. It's not beyond your, because it doesn't matter that I am the sinner that I am. Like that doesn't restrict me from holiness. Right. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. Question number five, we talked a little bit about uh, the gospel and preaching and all these things. Um, What, by your definition, is a good homily?
0: <laughs> True. I don't. You know. I. I don't know. I mean. That's a great question. You know. I think a good homily is one that breaks open the words of Jesus, and helps me to live it out in my in my life. You know. It doesn't have to be overcomplicated. But what is Jesus saying, and how does that help me live? You know. And I think you know if, if I got, a homily does those two things, you know. Because it's like, hey, this isn't what I'm saying. This isn't Deacon Adam saying this. This isn't Paul. This is what Jesus says, and this is how he's asking us to live it out. Blame him. That's what I want to (laughs) hear. You know, I I want the words of Jesus, you know. And so I think a good homeless helps break that open, you know. I I really do. Mm. It's good stuff. Mm. You know, it's interesting, the word uh, monastery, we brought it up. I was looking it up, the the word monasterium breaks down to, um, you know, the word mono being alone. One, and, yeah. and then, uh, you know, monasterium, like a hermit cell, you know, like finding that alone time. You know, Jesus talks about this in the gospel. He didn't call it a, a hermit cell or a monastery. He says, you know, go into your closet and pray to your father. Like go into that quiet place, that silence. And just, yeah. I think it's important for everyone to find a hermit cell, to find a little monastery in your life, in your day,
1: so that you can hear the voice of God, you know? Mm. It's a crazy idea, monastery, because you're alone together. Alone together. Beautiful. Let's get together and be alone.
0: Mm. Right. So we'll, <laughs> Sounds like a lot of fun. We will call that question number six, Chad. Sure.
2: What's a monastery? Yeah. I was just going to, I was going to ask you, <laughs> What's a monastery? <laughs> you were just going to say that. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that's great. Uh, i just going to say... <laughs> Thanks for letting me know, Paul. <laughs> I was curious. <laughs> What's a monastery?
0: As you were thinking about question six, I, I was, you know, kind of breaking down the word. But it is interesting, you know, to be... A, what were you saying, Adam? To be alone together. <laughs> be alone together. Yeah, it's beautiful.
2: It's well, like an old couple.
1: Look, if you really look at the theology of the body and you get into John Paul II's words, which sometimes it's hard to do that because a lot of the commentary... Uh, some of it is, I don't know, some of it's not true to what John Paul II was really getting at, right? A lot mm-hmm. of it is, but some, especially sensationalists, you know, that really sensationalize the theology of the body to become like this program that transforms the church in and out, and every every one of us needs to be focused on it all the time, tend to get, to get away from what he was actually doing. But there's this beautiful section that John Paul II talks about, the original solitude mm, of yes. Adam. If you've read it, you know what I'm talking about. And how the body expresses both this solitude, but also this communion. Made for community, but also made for solitude. And this is the mystery of the church. Like, we are all alone with God, yet together in our aloneness. And that's heaven. Every one of us have our own unique relationship with God that me and him have. This special thing that just me and God have, but we all have that together. It's crazy. And that is God, right? The mystery of oneness and trinity. Communion, but also solitude.
2: Yeah, it's, yeah that's a beautiful thought. That, that, that God brings us into himself, yet we don't lose ourself. Yeah, like we're still distinct, mm-hmm. but one with him. It's like a beautiful sort of thought, because the opposite is the devil who consumes us, and we lose ourself. I mean, well, yeah, in a, in a bad we're way. We're destroyed. We're yeah. destroyed, yeah. Always destroyed. I'd, we're almost time, so...
0: Yeah, absolutely. Great show, you guys. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being a part of it. For everyone listening, man, I'm about to go back and listen to. It's good to be alone together on radio. <laughs> yes,
1: love yeah. you
0: guys. I'm gonna get that mask <laughs> translator soon, man. I'm gonna be speaking in Greek and Latin on this show. It's I bet your be...
1: show is gonna be terrible in like different languages because it's, it's gonna come out really weird. because It's gonna, cause gonna of sound the like a, a dunce.
0: <laughs> anyway, share what the show on podcast. Uh, Google Play, iTunes, whatever, wherever you can find it. Uh, Visit discovertheartofliving.com and find out all the work we're doing. So thanks again. Talk to you guys next week. God
2: bless.